I'm JR Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing? Today on the show, we've got Jeff Bull. Jeff, thanks for being on the show. Hey, JR. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm excited to chat with you, man. So so quick context for uh, yourself and, and anyone who's new. Um, our show is, is really a show for new sellers um, and people really that might be considering a career shift into sales. And specifically for our audience, um, we help elite athletes and military veterans um, really kind of break into the sales profession and and become elite sales professionals. Um, All of our guests so far have been uh, military veterans and former athletes who have gone on to find success in sales. Um, And what we like to do is we, we kind of talk about your service. So your time in the, in the Navy, your transition to civilian life. and, And we kind of finish out, by talking about some some sales specific nuggets um, that we can share w- with our audience, so kind of taking a step back, we want to start with your um, your military experience. I'm I'm always curious about this um, about the different military branches. What made you choose the Navy over other service branches? Yeah, man, I, I think you'll appreciate this. You ever see the movie Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen back in the eighties? Of, of course, I did. It's a dude. classic, man. It's a classic. Um, yeah, so to, to be honest with you, that was my first sort of, uh, exposure. I think I, I was, um, you know, like 15 years old, something like that. So I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Right. Um, and so it kind of had planted a, a little bit of a seed. Um, and then when I was getting out of, you know, getting ready to graduate high school, um, decided that I wanted to, to go the, the military route and, uh, really at the time I was looking for a challenge. I, w- I wasn't looking to join a branch of service. I was looking for what is the hardest thing that I could possibly do. Um, and so I w- kind of asked around, you know, a couple folks that, that I trusted. And of course, everybody across the board is like, Navy SEAL training is the hardest in the world and, you know, 80% won't make it and blah, blah, blah. And I was, so I was sold, right? Um, I've learned since then, right? My, my 17 year old is, getting ready to graduate high school. He's applying to colleges right now and he, he wants to apply to um, uh, West Point and, or VMI to, to become an army officer. And the conversation we had was, remember, you are joining a branch of service. You are not going to school. You are, you know, so select wisely. So um, took a little bit of a, of a different a, approach with him and, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll, he'll be successful um, in some capacity. That's amazing. We've actually talked on uh, about West Point on here before because I went on a visit there to play hockey, and I was I was a troubled kid, I guess you could say. So the coach took us to morning exercises at West Point, which I'm sure your your son saw. And my dad said to the coach, "He's like, do you want him to come here or not?" Nice. <laughs> um, now, when you look back, you know you had a, obviously an, a, an amazing career there and your career in the Navy, are there like certain memories or milestones that come to mind? Yeah, man. I mean, to be honest with you, like 
every the whole thing was a milestone, right? And that, that's just sort of the structure of of the military. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about it, right, where I could kind of break down my year into three month chunks on on a rotating basis, where this month I planned on accomplishing these things, and I would get these certifications or qualifications, and I would get you know take these classes, do these deployments, and and be able to really kind of track you know, um, what I, I was wanting to, to accomplish over a period of time and look back, was I successful? Was I not, you know, why not? And, and make adjustments. And, and so, um, when, when I look back, like the whole thing was just, you know, a, a milestone or selection process, I, I would say. Um, and, and I was fortunate to be able to take advantage of every selection, you know, possible training, uh, that was offered to me during during that time and so um yeah it's just really fortunate that's awesome and and breaking up uh accomplishment accomplishments in three-month chunks that sounds familiar (laughs) yeah for sure good foundation there um you know one of the things we always talk about with veterans uh is like you know one of the things they miss when they get out is like the the team camaraderie the atmosphere and I think especially in the SEALs, you know, your teammates are the, you know, the, one of the best parts about it. And when you think back of to, to your service and, and some of your favorite teammates that you worked with in the Navy, what, what traits and characteristics come to mind? Anyone that deserves like a shout out from your, from your end? Yeah, man. So traits and characteristics, it, the, what I noticed fairly early on, when I was a, a young SEAL, I think I was like 20 years old, going through CQC training, close quarters combat, where you've got, you know, your rifle. It's kind of like SWAT stuff you see on you know, movies, people going inside houses. Um, prior to being trained, I would kind of amp myself up going in there. And, you know, even though it was just training and, you know, there are paper targets, um, I would kind of in my mind be like, well, what if there was, you know, a real terrorist in there or somebody that had a gun? like how my heart rate would be up and I would be amped up. And so I would try to, to create that um, sort of stress so that I would be ready when I had to do it for real. What I noticed was I would make mistakes like the, you know, the blinder sort of come on, you increase this, this stress level. Um, and I wasn't really performing at the level that I wanted to be. And so I started to observe the people that, that I thought was just like, were crushing it that we're doing an amazing job and so of course i looked to my platoon chief and the guy looks like he's walking into an ice cream shop with with a rifle and he's just like telling people where to go what to do and the the guy is just like absolutely calm and, and collected and it's no big deal and and so i had to to kind of like do a comparison like why is he like that and performing like that and why am i performing the, the way i am so I actually talked to him about it and, and, you know, come to find out that was a recipe for success for the re- rest of my career. Instead of trying to um, create additional stress for what I think would be in the moment, de-escalate and try to keep everything as calm as possible. Um, and then my performance would, would go way up. And so I would see it in the future uh, on different combat deployments. The, the guys that could be calm no matter what was going on were absolutely impressive and performed at, at, at an amazing level. 
what really stood out to me were the guys that could also do that when we came home. They would come home and then with their families, they would be like, yeah, I'm going to my kid's baseball thing or, hey, I'm cutting out early because I'm going to go, you know, take care of this. And they were just always had this this like calm demeanor about them. And so for me, that was always something that that I would try to you know replicate. That's awesome. Um, now, you said platoon leader. Do you have like other favorite leaders and, and like lessons that you learned from from folks that you worked underneath, you know, during your time? Yeah, you know, a lot of them are, are still working, right? So, so I want to be cautious yeah. and, and not call too many of them out. Um, but what also stood out to me later in my career were, were the people who were really students of leadership, right? Like that really got into it. And so there was like this transition period where they were no longer worried about their individual performance as, as like a seal and, and what defines them as a seal. It's sort of like, okay, they got that. What they didn't quite have totally yet was how do I be a leader in this space? How do I become a leader with a cross-functional team, right? With people of different backgrounds, different skill sets, and so on and so on and so forth. And so one guy, and I'll, I'll call him out because he's now uh, started his own company and, and doing his own thing, um, was a, a troop commander. So he pulls us in and he's like, we're going to do a SWOT analysis of you know our programs and, and how we're performing as a team and this, that, the other. So Imagine you got a bunch of SEALs and team guys, you know, sitting in there like, what? SWAT? Like, okay. And so, you know, breaks down, like, what is it? Um, and he had read, you know, about SWAT analysis in some business, you know, magazine or something probably the week prior and, and decided, you know, he, he was going to do it. And of course, the guy goes on to like Harvard and, you know, gets a master's and starts his own company and a nonprofit and, you know, all, all this other stuff. And the guy was just incredible. But what always struck me about him is that he was a student of leadership and that he was always, you know, per pursuing that, that stuff. And so I'll call, I'll call him out, you know, Adam LaRue, um, you know, he's got his own human performance company, O2X based out of Boston. So, uh, you know, you, you may run into him. That's very cool. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's an awesome lesson, right? Like you're, even when you get to that, you know, supposed pre precipitous point where you're a leader, you, you don't ever stop learning and, and, and applying those learnings to what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, now, I, I'm curious to get your take. Like, how do you think your teammates from the Navy would describe you? Yeah, man. Uh, hopefully, well, right? Like, that, that's always, you know, the, the goal. Um, you know, I had a couple buddies that would, you know, kind of describe me as an overachiever, and they, they would say that in a negative context, you know? Um, <laughs> You know, from from early on, like you know, I was saying those three month increments. Um, you know, I've I found that I needed to keep my mind busy, and so I enlisted, and I didn't have any college, you know, at the time, and so I think my second deployment to Afghanistan, probably like my uh, fourth or fifth, you know, combat deployment, we um, we'd go out on targets and then do our thing, and we'd come back, and I'd start writing a an english paper or something like that you know try to try to knock knock out my my uh my college credits and so there was like fbi agents that were sitting there and they were doing the sensitive site exploitation and like where did we find what and who did what and who who was where and who fired shots and you know all this stuff so they're building this powerpoint and i'm sitting there writing an english paper you know about i don't know murder dick you know colonization <laughs> or something you know something like that 
Um, so they were always giving me a, a hard time, but that really kind of continued through my entire, you know, career where I, I was knocking out school and working at the same time. And then fortunately um, found a, a wife who was, you know, willing to put up with that and then also carry, you know, the, the large load of, of raising two kids as well. Wow. That, that's awesome. Um, now moving into the kind of transition from that, uh, I'm like, one thing that's, I think, important for our audience, right? We have kind of like a combination of veterans, some athletes, and then we get a lot of sales leadership that listens to this. So these are kind of things that I think it's important for guys like me that re really never serve to understand. You know, I know what it's like to, to, to focus on a sport and then that sport be gone. But can we talk a little bit about, you know, why, why do you think the transition from military life to civilian life can be? kind of tough on on our veterans yeah man i mean i can kind of speak for myself and you know i don't yeah i don't want to you know claim that that i've got you know the the answer to, to any of these things um you know a part of it is, is like like you said what what are those milestones that that i remembered suddenly when when you get out the milestones don't really exist anymore at least in the same context that that they did before right um, and so, so there, there is a sense of not really being able to identify forward progress. And then at the same time, while you're in the military, you are constantly, you have constant feedback coming from you, uh, right? Or coming to you. So you're surrounded by your peers and you're constantly assessing how are they performing? How am I performing in context to how, you know, they're doing and, and so on and so forth. So you're, you're, there's this constant assessment of where am I? in you know in this environment and then when you retire i would say in large part that's just gone um and so so the environment i think that's that's pretty challenging um another aspect of it is you know we were at war for 20 plus years you know um and in order to maintain that pace and in that focus and, and so on and so forth a lot of things that you didn't have time to deal with you had to kind of put to the side and and um, you know, avoid them. And so, uh, I think when you, when you retire, suddenly all that, a lot of that stuff comes back to the surface, right? And then you can't avoid it anymore. You try, um, and sometimes in unhealthy ways. And, and then you've got to figure out how to navigate that at the same time. Maybe you're moving, you know, your, your kids, you know, you're in your like forties, your kids are growing up. There's just a lot, lot going on. Right. Totally. Totally. And, and, you know, we, we see, we partner with a lot of companies and I think some really understand the value that, you know, that experience that you just described, how that translates into, you know, bu business success. But I think like, I'd love to get your take on like, what do you think some things that business leaders can do in the private sector to kind of better support veterans during their transition? Yeah, man. So, so a lot of companies, um, you know, like at Dell and yep. Microsoft, um, they have ERGs, the employee resource groups, you know, where you can kind of connect with, with people of, of like backgrounds and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, so I think a lot of people are, are making a lot of good efforts in order to, to try and help folks. The, um, you know, I, I think I would, would say, 
you got to give people a chance, right? The reality is, and I didn't realize this when, when I was transitioning, a lot of veterans will transition three jobs within the first three years of, you know, when, when they get out. Um, oh, yeah. It, for a multitude of, of different reasons, right? And when I was getting out, in my head, I was like, I spent 20 years at this organization. I want to spend at least 10 years at the next one. I want to move to this house, be there for 10 years. Kids are going to be in the same place, graduate from high school. And I had this unrealistic expectation of what my transition was going to be like, right? Um, and a lot of people, when you're getting out, they're like, what do you want to do? Dude, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Because I spent the last 20 years of a very defined, you know, career path and, and way, to, way to get things done. Right. You just don't know. And so so what I've found is that um, the more leaders can kind of uh, and individuals can appreciate that it's going to be a process. You're going to discover new jobs, new roles, new industries, new technologies, like all sorts of stuff. And in this iterative process, you'll begin to refine like where you, where do you fit in all of that, and where do you not want to be? And, I, and to some degree, that's where I'll kind of start with folks. I'll be like, what don't you want to do? Because it, sometimes that's easier to to narrow down than than what do you want to do? Because people just don't know. Totally, totally. And and in in your experience specifically, um, curious to know like. What was your process on that discovery? And like, how, where did, did, did you kind of approach the process with an interest in sales or did that develop over multiple conversations? Like, how did that play out? Yeah, I would say it developed over time. Um, so I went to McChrystal Group um, under Stan McChrystal. He's a four-star general yep. um, when, when I retired. And, and uh, they'll probably get mad at me for, for saying this, but, but I was kind of described as like a halfway house, right? Where you know people would, um, and and actually a smaller portion of the company is former military, um, but the, you know the folks that would come out of the military is sort of this quasi. You still are taking military operational processes and how you think and, and approach problems, and applying it to industry. And so that yeah. was just an amazing opportunity for me to one use what was already there. And then also learn the language of industry and then be able to translate the two, right? Um, and I remember as I was getting ready to, to uh, transition, the, I, I watched a YouTube video of Steve Jobs. And he was like MIT back in you know 80s or something like that. And he was talking to, to these kids about um, consulting versus you know, going, going straight and owning a, you know, a, a job. And one of the kids was kind of offended because, because Steve Jobs was talking smack about consulting a little bit. Right. And, and he's like, well, it's, it's kind of like fruit. If you had a banana um, or an apple or an orange and you're consulting, you know what it looks like. You might know the color of it. You might know the shape of it, you know, all, all those things, but you don't know what it tastes like. You don't know all the things about the banana, you don't know all, all those things. The great thing about, and, and he said, the great thing about consulting is you get exposure to all these things, but you never really own it, right? Um, and that was absolutely my my experience at McChrystal Group. I got to see a lot of different problems, a lot of different industries, all, all those things, um, but I didn't own any of, of those, right? And, and it's very different. So over time, what what I found was 
I was interested in owning some some of those problems and, and not just advising. Um, and so as as I moved, I was actually trying to avoid sales, which uh, <laughs> I, I think I told you the story before the um, the National Lampoon's Christmas story. You know, like I, yeah. I'd seen it, but I never really like paid attention. So, but I had burned in my head that you couldn't count on whatever financial, you know, plans that, that you had. I spent 20 years in the Navy. I didn't make a great paycheck, but I knew exactly what I had. Right. So I could plan on it and it was, it was very stable. Suddenly the idea of sales to me is like, oh, you can either have a pool in your backyard or you can't pay your mortgage, you know, depending <laughs> on, you know, some, something that you don't control. And so I was always just avoiding it. And people would bring up like, Hey, what do you think about sales? I'm like, no way, man. Like I, I got kids, I got like mouths to feed. Um, the reality is it's nothing like that. Right. And so normally when, when I'm talking to folks with, you know, if they're getting out, that's the first thing I address, you know, like the, the volatility that you believe is there is probably not the case. Totally, totally. And, and, and I'm glad you, I've seen that clip of Steve jobs in that, uh, in that he's in like a classroom presenting in front yeah. talking about the banana and the taste. The, the other thing, you know, I, and I think a lot of, especially veterans in special forces will end up in consulting. And I always tell people like sales is sales is consulting, except it's bookended by two things. I call it the indignities of sales. The first thing you have to do is ask for someone's attention. Then you are a, a consultant for like the sales cycle, right? Like you're trying to understand their challenges their goals and then trying to educate them and and show them where your solution fits into achieving those goals and solving those problems. Same thing a consultant does. And then comes the the other bookend of the indignity, which is now you have to ask them for money <laughs> at the end of that, right? Um, so it, it and, and, and I think that experience um, really makes you appreciate like what, what a sales role really is. Um, we always find especially with guys with, with your background, that the, the biggest challenge, the biggest kind of bridge to gap is, or is, is really around learning to frame their experience in a way that makes it easier for a hiring manager that didn't serve in the military to, under, to see them in the role that they want, right? Sean, our, our veteran coordinator, was a Green Beret, and he talks a lot about this. And, and I'd love to hear any advice you would have for our veteran audience on how do you tell a compelling story about military service to a to a sales hiring manager in your opinion? Yeah, man. So so for me, it was very much sort of this iterative, you know, stair step process. I didn't really just go straight from military straight, you know, straight to sales. Right. Um, so so I think that helped, you know, the transition um, quite a bit. You know, like like you're saying, there there's aspects of consulting, it, you know, within sales, and there's aspects of program management. In in my head it all leads to being an executive assistant. And so like if, if you're consulting, you're also part program manager, but you're an executive assistant because you have to organize like all these people, keep all the cats, you know, and it, or, you know, doing what they should be doing and, and coloring the lines they should be coloring. If you're in sales, 100% sales, consultant, program manager, executive assistant. Um, totally. You know, Unfortunately, the aspect that I like least about my job is being an executive assistant because it is hard, man. It is, 
bless the people that do it and are good at it because I lean on them all day long. I just like, I, I tried, I can't please help. And then within an hour, like everything's all, you know, figured out. Um, yeah, man. So sorry. I, I got a little bit, um, sidetracked no. there. No, it was good. I, I like some ways that, that somebody can take, you know, a, a, a decently long military service career and frame that for a sales hiring manager based off what you just said. Like, how, how do you say like, hey, this is why I can do this job that I understand to be essentially a, a combination of these four things? Sure. So, so I think the biggest thing, you know, especially within the military, the first thing we, we are assessing for is trainability. Like if you, you cannot be trained, then we don't want you. We don't, you know, at some, at some point you'll, you'll end up being minimized. You'll, you'll go elsewhere. And so the, the reality is uh, for a hiring manager, one, you need to show like, yes, I'm capable of learning your processes, your organizational, how, the, how it functions internally, externally, you know, so, so on and so forth. Here's some examples of how I am trainable. Here's how I adapted in, in to these different environments. And I'm more than capable of, of doing that and, and applying it here. Storytelling, relevant storytelling is really important, right? So yes, I was a Navy SEAL. How relevant is that to sales? Like from, from a actual, you know, tangible thing? Not very, right? Except for when you begin to break down, well, I needed a piece of equipment or I needed to, you know, sell the idea of conducting this sort of operation in this location, or I need, you know, I needed to build a coalition of people to get behind this effort. You know, how, how did you do that? So there, there are always different aspects of people's experience. You just need to be able to draw on the right thing that usually is not like jumping out of planes, diving, shooting, you know, yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, I think where those types of things come into play is really more about like the proof of the intangible characteristics and mindsets that matter, right? Like maybe it's not, you, you need to be able to tell stories on the experience and, and, you know, make those parallels. But you can also say like, hey, you think I'm going to be afraid to cold call? Like, right. <laughs> look what I just did. You know what I mean? Like that, that should be the easier part. Um, what, what would, what would be like a nugget of advice that you would give for any vets who are listening that are just at the very beginning of their career search, how, how would you coach those folks? Yeah, man. So usually I start out with, you know, what are your priorities out of, out of three things, right? Is it where you live? Is it how much money you make? Or is it the job that, that you're doing? Um, because if you can prioritize that, it will begin to limit what is possible. So, so if I say, hey, um, I want to live in the middle of Texas, right? Um, well, what job opportunities are out there? How much money you're going to make is going to be determined largely by by the location that, that you're at. If you're willing to take any amount of money, well, Bahrain might be you know a great option, but maybe it isn't if you have kids and you know all, all, all these other things. So, beginning to narrow narrow down what life you want, and then to to begin to get, um, steer that that direction. The, those are that's actually really it's like very rational, but like. Very and very simple, but that is like a really good place to start, right? Like, because if if you say, you know, I want to make hundreds of thousands of dollars, then that also will limit your search, right? Because then you're like, okay, well, here's here's like ten careers that you can take where that's going to be the potential. Um, I really like that. Um, where you're going to live, 
how much money you want to make and what your actual job is and prioritizing those it makes a ton of sense. And I think it's, it's also determined by your, your life situation, right? If you are, if you're married with kids, that's gonna, you don't want to go live in, in Manhattan. You know what sure. I mean? Like that's, that's really good. You um, really now, just need to get your foot in the door. A lot of these places as well. Right. So I know when, when I was getting out, kind of had this dollar amount that I, you know, I, I wanted to make and I was lucky that, that I was able to get that. A lot of times, I think there's unrealistic expectations. So if I take a, a look at what did I do in my military career, how, where do I think that should place me within the civilian hierarchy in regards to like leadership and paycheck and like all that stuff is out the window. It, uh, I mean, it just doesn't matter, right? Yeah. What matters is now how do you take the first opportunity, show value, and then leapfrog, springboard that into to the next thing right and so yeah. for for an example uh you know talking about military career i had to start over at every new command that i went to every new job every new skill set i transitioned to, to different um skill sets while, while i was in and i was the junior person each time that i did that when i left the military and went to mccrystal group i was taking notes for people younger than me interviewing executives um you know when on, on these consulting efforts, but that was my job, right? Now, now I'm at, at the lowest level waiting for the right opportunity to show my value and then have the organization begin to pull me in and say, hey man, I noticed that you're very good at this. I noticed that you're capable of this. How do you feel about being here? At the same time, career you know, interviews, where do you wanna be? Where do you see yourself? Like everybody wants to see you be successful. So the biggest thing to me is get your foot in the door, if it, whether it's being a program manager or, or whatever it is, do that, crush it, let your leadership know that if it's sales you want to be in, let them know that's where you want to go and then get to know those people and, and then work your way in there. The reality is of, of finding exactly what you want and where you should be right out of the military is like, I would say near zero. Yeah, I mean the the data around that stat around the the initial civilian job for vets, it's like a ninety percent attrition rate from their first job within two years. So yeah. don't expect to find the perfect fit right away. And doing that discovery and and like you said, it's like if you're gonna anything worth doing is worth doing right, and then you can use that success to determine your your kind of direction if. If a kid, if a, if I say a kid, but if a veteran came to you, like a Navy SEAL vet came to you and they're like, Hey, I think I want to do sales. What, 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 like, what's the first couple questions you would ask them to try to help them decide, is, is this really a good fit for you? Yeah. Th so that's a great way, way to frame it, right? Like if, if a, a SEAL's coming to me, I would already automatically assume that they're capable of it right totally like, there is yeah. skill sets things that they need to learn like all, all those things then then the question is do you want that and so then we, we can begin to discuss of like what is the lifestyle actually like what does the job actually entail and there's plenty of of seals um you know I just, last week i had a conversation with one and and he's looking to transition away from sales because he's like i hate sales He's like, I just don't like it. Like, whatever you know, whatever whatever it is about it, he he doesn't like it, right? So he's learned that, um, and then he's he's gonna you know find find his path to to the next thing. So then the you know question is, well, what what is it that you don't like about it, right? Um, and it, and in some cases, to me, it's like, what 
would I not like about sales or what don't I like about sales? The idea of sales being trying to force something upon somebody that they don't want or need or, or something like that is feels very slimy and, you know, dishonest and, you know, so on and so forth. What I found is it's exactly the opposite. The customer has a need. They have a requirement. I have a solution and I have to present it to them. Now, if it's a good solution and it meets, you know, price points and, you know, timelines and, you know, all, all those things, then we've got a good relationship. We can go ahead and make the deal and, and then move on. If any of those things do not fit, there's, there's a choice, right? Do I continue to push and try, try to, to pressure this individual in order to, to get the opportunity? Very short-sighted, you know, minded thinking in like this quarter, not thinking about relationships and, and what, you know, future potential is. Um, you could burn bridges fairly, fairly quickly, right? What I come to learn and appreciate about my company now is they are a product company. They aren't a yeah. sales company. So if I have the right product, I'm not really selling. I'm just offering yeah. the right product, right? So yeah. what I've discovered is if my product fits with the customer, I'm not doing anything. I've got technical salespeople. They they're helping solve and solution and these things are flying out out the door where i'm focused now is where my product doesn't meet the customer's requirements because that's all greenfield that's all yeah. new growth business so i spend i would say man my boss is going to be pissed at me i <laughs> like 60 70 percent of my time fighting internal trying to get product group to build what i need them to do so that i could sell and grow the account yeah. right yeah yeah. Um, and, and that's actually like a so we've had probably 40 episodes, Jeff, maybe more. Um, and I would say more than half of our guests. And a lot of this is because it's my background, too. We started our careers. I started my career at EMC, right, which is Dell, right? Dell EMC. Um, and, you know, the place you start your sales career is really important, I think, because you can get a bad taste in your mouth if you go work for the wrong leader or the wrong organization, or it isn't a company that's product led. And, you know, that, that product led mantra goes way back to the eighties for EMC. There used to be a big sign on the sales floor that Roger Marino put up and it said, it's the product stupid, right? To, to humble some of these cocky, uh, overconfident sales guys. Like they were the reason these things were going flying off the shelf. Um, but there's, there's certain characteristics that we advise our people to look for in the company that they select to start their career, their sales career at. What's, what is the criteria you think is most important for choosing a comp company specifically, obviously for veterans? Sure, man. So, so I would say I, I was fortunate because I was got to be at McChrystal group for, for almost three years. Um, and it's a small company and, and what they, they used to say there is like, McChrystal Group is all the good things about a small company and all the bad things about a small company. Dell, <laughs> Microsoft are all the good things about a big company and all the bad things about a big company, right? So you, you kind of need, need to figure out, um, you know, what are you looking for? Are you looking for like big impact, being able to move the needle, run initiatives and, and like have a strong presence within an organization? You might want a small company, right? Now with that comes volatility, you know, financials up, big swings, either you've got too much business, not enough people. And so everybody's working, you know, overtime or 
it goes the other way and you don't have enough business, too many people and you're hemorrhaging, you know, money and, and everybody's like trying to look for, you know, sell new business and, and, and go that route. Large companies, super stable, right? Um, and so there's a lot of goodness there, but it's a massive bureaucracy. In order to move the needle inside of a $100 billion company, it is not an easy thing to do. And what I've come to realize is after two and a half years at Dell, understanding the organization a little bit better, building coalitions, relationships with senior VPs, presidents of, of different product lines, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but it's taken two and a half, all of two and a half years you know, uh, and everything I've, I've got in order to develop access to some of these folks that, that I now have. But I didn't realize at the time that that was the game that I needed to play. And so what I love about sports and, you know, military is, as well, strategy and, and doing all those things, what is the game that you're actually need to play? And then do you want to, right? Right. And then you have to make the choice, like, do I really want this or do I need do I want something else? Totally, totally. I, and I always tell people that, like, it's there's not a big company versus a little company. There's not, not not one is better. Everybody's different, and it really depends on what you're looking for, right? Like, and and I've seen folks successfully move between the two, and it's definitely doable as long as you bring that context that you just talked about and and that understanding. Like, we would hire guys from big companies. And reps from big companies and they would get like i'll never forget we hired someone from oracle that was like an oil and gas guy in texas and he got a meeting with a cio at a huge energy company and he's like hey jr you know can you come down to houston for this meeting and can you send me the energy deck and this is we were like 150 people we're like series b and i'm like dude we don't have an energy deck like we need to build it tonight so that yeah. it's ready for the meeting tomorrow right like whereas like at a big company that you know they have a big co content management system where they can just pull out the oil and gas deck so and that's just different and that's a skill that you can develop and talk about versus being able to manage a complex bureaucracy and make stuff change and happen that's an also a huge skill to have because that's what you're going to do on the customer side anyway right um what do you think the, the from a traits and skills perspective from your time in the navy um what help what what are those things that helped you get off to the the fastest start in sales out of all all your traits and skills that you developed in the navy yeah man you know i, th I think um two things probably um one the the folks that i looked up to the most had this ability to to cross functional lines and so they were able to operate you know, if it's like hardcore intense, you know, individuals or go over here with like softer, whether it's Intel or communications or logistics or, or whatever, and kind of blend um, those disciplines. And, and the folks that were always most impressive to me, like Stan McChrystal is, is incredible because he will never comport himself in a way like he's the smartest guy in the room. Like he, he just, he isn't. Not that he's not the smartest guy in the room, but but he does not present that attitude, right? He enables everybody else to bring what they know, what they can, what they're capable to the table, and then it, the the team, the organization, just like crushes, you know, from, yeah. from there. Um, so that that's what's most impressive, you know, to me, and seeing folks in the military that once they learn that, right? And I, I do think it's it's a learned skill. First, you need to be individually um, capable, right? 
everybody across the board, whether it's a, a sport or anything else, I need to be, that's the price of entry, right? Is, is that you are capable to contribute on an individual level. Once you can do that, there are still another tier of individuals that are only going to be able to do that. There's other people that are going to say, okay, I like this leadership thing. I'm now going to kind of put a little bit of that individual you know, capability aside and focus on leadership and team performance and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so, so the people that I most looked up to were incredible operators who at some point weren't that current anymore because they were focused on enabling everybody else, but they didn't have to also have all the answers because they were surrounded by people with the answers. They just yeah. had to figure out how to pull it out. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, and, and I'm sure that pays dividends now, have, having learned that skill over time. Um, we talk a lot because we're, we're working with athletes, we're working with veterans. They're coming from typically like fairly structured worlds, right? Where it's like, you know, your uh, combat aside, your day, your week, your month is, is, is pretty structured. You know what you're going into. And we find the people that can bring that to their sales careers are really successful. So curious to get your kind of view on like, you must, you must have an operating rhythm. Can you give us some detail on like how you might structure a day and a week in, in the life of a, in the role you're in now? Yeah, for sure, man. So, um, that's the first thing that, that I brought to my team when, when I showed up was, was a daily standup. And so we've got, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Sometimes it goes 40 minutes, depending, depending on what, what's going on, where at the beginning of the day, when and we work off a of central time, cause we've got folks that, that are out of Austin. Um, and, and, you know, what do you have going on today? Like what's, what's the priorities? And usually it's, it's the field salespeople talking to the inside sales rep that needs like quoting or, or, you know, waiting on something to, to get to the to the customer or the field sales needs to give like some configuration information to to folks so um that's the first thing that that we'll do the what you typically what comes out of that is every once in a while we begin to go down a rabbit hole right and and it's like people are talking about one specific deal or one specific customer and it's like hey this isn't the place for that this is for emergent immediate things that we need and then identifying what follow-up meetings we need to have and so then when when we start digging a rabbit hole we set up a separate meeting specifically to, to talk about that if it's important enough to us and it may not be related to money it may be related to relationships opportunities whatever we'll de de determine what the speed of business needs to be at that point there could be a daily meeting a separate meeting specific to a deal it could be a weekly meeting specific to a product development, you know, um, effort or, or so on and so forth. So we have that daily and then we'll break up, you know, other efforts specifically on a, you know, weekly cadence, which makes sense, you know, based off of, of what the need is, but everything usually is, lo is looking forward, right? So every two weeks we have an extended team meeting. So in that extended team meeting, we'll kind of consolidate everything we did in the last two weeks visit it briefly and then focus on what's coming up in the next two weeks for, for the rest of the extended team. That's smart. And it, and it keeps everybody kind of, you know, accountable for what they say they're going to do and what they're focused on and whether or not they got it done. That's really good. Um, you mentioned something at the beginning about, you know, admiring leaders that, that maintain that kind of beginner's mindset, right? Like, like student of the game. Right. And, and I think the best salespeople I've ever worked with, always we're thinking about skill development and how to continuously 
approach improvement? Are there any particular skills that, that you're working on and, and, and how are you going about that, that improvement approach? Yeah, man. So a couple, one super easy because I'm at a tech company, right? And I used to carry guns and bullets. So there, there's a huge <laughs> like learning curve uh, totally. here, which just by osmosis, just being surrounded, you know, by these people, I begin to, to pick up um, things. But, but that is a journey that um, I also try to be cautious about, right? If I, so somebody that I look up to on, on the tech side, if I wanted to be anywhere close to that individual, it's going to take me 10 years and I'm going to have to go back to school and this, that, the other, and it's going to distract me from what I'm actually capable of bringing right now. Right. And so, so there's this balance of, yes, I need to understand how to leverage you, how to communicate this to senior leaders in order to get, you know, uh, resources and, and decisions. Um, but not getting too, too deep into it, thinking that one day I'm going to provide a configuration for, you know, anything from a laptop to a server to store like what is just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, aside from the fact that I just don't think I'm, you know, capable, uh, you know, academically to, to figure that stuff out. Um, then, so the, the other thing is, so there, there are a couple account executives at Dell that have been on the same account for a decade or, or two. Oh. Right. So when I sit down with them and they show me their Excel spreadsheet of everybody that they've talked to, when's the last time they talked to them, what have people bought, like it is absolutely impressive, absolutely impressive. And then I look at what I've got going on and it's not even close to that, right? And so <laughs> the first you know, thing is, is like, hey man, can you send me that to, you know, and, and I will just put my name on it and then begin to fill you know, my, my information into your template because you've refined it over a long period of time. It's clearly effective and, and I want to replicate that, right? So I think always just looking for people that are impressive and then asking their help to, uh, to try and replicate it. Yeah, 100%. Um, I love that. And, and, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. If somebody's doing something, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's a saying for a reason, right? Um, for sure. So, we have we always ask these two final questions, but before we move into those, any, anything anything we missed that that you want to add for veterans who who might hear this episode or have a chance to go through our training program? Yeah, man. So, um, so my wife and I founded a nonprofit, Epizelus.org, um, and part of the reason that we did that in 2013, I was diagnosed with like PTSD and depression and all you know the usual cocktail of issues. Um, and at the time, I wasn't really able to address a lot of the stuff and until and, um, I got on medication, but I was still deploying and going overseas. So it was always in the context of staying in the fight, right? So, um, you know, went through that, was on medication for five, six years, transitioned out, and then had to, to find a way to, to get off the, the antidepressants and, and get other treatments, so on and so forth. What I discovered was there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of like forward leaning um, efforts in order to help people deal with, with issues um, in the special operations space, right? So yeah. there's, if for example, next month, I'm gonna be going to go get a stellate ganglion block uh, again for the you know sixth time, something like that over, over a period of time, um, that's covered. And so this organization is like, hey man, if you begin to struggle, if you start noticing symptoms, you need something, let us know. We got you. Well, I moved out to Northern Virginia and 
there's not there's a smaller group of special operations and a much larger group of just military service members. And so as I would talk to people, um, and you know, every like I said, every everybody as you transition, life slows down, issues begin to resurface. Um, things with your relationships that you were never able to address now you, you don't have a choice you have to now um, and so I would tell people some of the things that I had going on that were that I found helpful and they would say well how do I get that how do I get into a pipeline in order to to get help um, and we just couldn't find it right like right. everybody's like I've got my mission I'm not deviating from that you know I can't boil the ocean but I, I can help the, these you know, specific demographics. So we started an organization um, that has a wide breadth of being able to try to help people. So I've got, because of my network, I've got special operators all the time saying, hey, can you help me with this this treatment? We'll try to leverage existing soft, you know, nonprofits in order to do that. If um, somebody is a Marine or something, we'll, we'll try to, to leverage existing um, nonprofits. If not, then we step in and try try to close the, you know the gap when it comes to providing funding for treatment and and that sort of stuff. Um, That's awesome. So I guess you know my my story essentially is is like it is um, it is going to be a process, right? And what I found is there's no solution. And being in the military, we we were always going for the easy button, right? Because it was about getting back out the door to get back on the mission. So give me a shot, give me a pill. Give me, you know, whatever, so I can get back out on on the field, right? Um, that doesn't work anymore once once you get out. What I've found is now I'm just on a maintenance cycle. So mm-hmm. uh, for me personally, what I found is like ketamine, for example, um, helps me be symptom free for like four to five weeks. After that point, I begin to notice a lot of, you know, anxiety anger all these things begin to to become disruptive in my life and so i do something about it so now i'm just trying trying to stay ahead of it for me that was a really hard transition right to to think like all right man rest of my life i'm gonna have to sit here and hopefully one day you know um it, it won't necessarily be be what it is right now um but that was a healthy realization for me that i'm not gonna get an answer i'm not gonna get a solution i just need to stay ahead of it and the more you yeah. can stay ahead of it, the more effective you are at work, at home, and, and all those other things. Yep, yep. And and we're big on on mental health. We 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 give money to mental health. I, I have my own struggles that I went through. So thank you for sharing that. And we'll definitely link to the nonprofit in the in the show notes for sure. Awesome. Man. Um. So last two questions, right? We always ask every one of our guests to highlight one skill that's that's translating to kind of you know, elite execution on the sales side. What do you think your one your one skill is that that's making you elite right now? Yeah, man. So, so when I when I think about it, how we talked about individual you know skill set and then kind of transcending beyond being an yeah. in, individual contributor to um, making the team better, right? Be, being team focused, and, and I would say that uh, in large part because I've. I'm very weak on an individual contributor aspect, so I don't have an option, right? Um, <laughs> but but it's it's also a great skill set to have, right? I'm constantly totally. looking for help. So yeah. you know, a customer's going to come to me, say, "Hey, do you, do you have this or that, or do you know anything about this?" And I'm like, 
Hey, hey everybody. Um, you know, and I forward, forward the distro and see, see who comes back. And I'm constantly looking for, to match the right individual with the, with the right problem. So, yep. um, yeah, man, like, like I, I said, I'm, I'm more of an, uh, executive assistant, you know, than, than anything else. I think. Dude, that's, I mean, especially for the gig that you have, that's an elite skill. That makes a ton of sense. Um, you've gotten exposure to a lot of great, great salespeople uh, at a great, great company. Um, and, you know, I grew up in a, in a household with a, a father as a hockey coach. And he used to tell us when we were little, there's a lot of people that play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. And like the thing that he was trying to ingrain in, in me and my brother's minds was this idea of professionalism. And approaching something like a profession. And, and I think the highest praise you can give a salesperson is calling them a pro. So I, I want to, this is the last question. What is, what is being a pro in sales? What does that mean to you? Yeah, man. So it's, it's interesting. The, the sales industry, you know, all the cliches, I, I would say they're probably high, they're accurate. At least what, what I've found, right? A, a lot of times with, with some nuanced dif differences there. Um, the pros that I, I see are not thinking quarter to quarter. They're thinking long-term, you know, relationship building. And so when, when I see somebody that is committed a lot of time and effort in something that will pay off a year from now or even two years from now, uh, because they have a stable run rate business, you know, in, in order to meet their, their metrics and, and immediate requirements, like those, those people are impressive to me. Yeah, I love that. We haven't got that answer, but that might be one of my favorites because it's so true, right? And you and you and you need. It's a function of your ability to run your business on a quarter. You still have to run your business on a quarter to quarter basis to get to that long term. But if you can do that and maintain that long term outlook, that's long term success that you're developing. So awesome answer, Jeff. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for giving us your time and, and thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, brother. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.